Hello, it's Ibrahim Jiara from Anadolu Agency Podcast. I am one of thousands of Anadolu Agency Network Voices, coming to you from local podcasts across the country. I'm joined today by peace activist Rachel Corey's parents. Her mother and father are with me now. We will discuss Rachel and her portraits. Welcome to our podcast channel, Mrs. Cindy Corey and Mr. Craig Corey. Good to have you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. I think this is your first podcast interview in Turkey, right? Probably a pork, uh, it's a podcast, yes. Oh, yeah. Now we are going to talk about Rachel's portrait. Uh, I think we are with the two people in the world who can portray Rachel best. Uh, who is Rachel Corey? Uh, we would like to know Rachel's childhood, her character, uh, and her thoughts. How was the big in everything? Let's talk about Rachel's short but really meaningful life. We would like to hear from both of you. Yes, Mrs. Cindy. Uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Crack. Uh, mothers and ladies always first. Mm -hmm. uh, Rachel was our third child. Uh, she grew up in this home where we're sitting now. Uh, we live in Olympia, Washington. So um, her home was here in the woods and along the stream. And she... Uh, She was a creative, um, curious child. Uh, she grew into a creative and curious young adult and uh, was, was always thinking, writing, um, through her art, expressing um, her, her feelings, her views about the world. She had um, opportunities privilege, really, that she would say, um, to explore more of the world. So she, she traveled as a high school student to, to Sakhalin Island in Russia after the fall of the Soviet Union. And um, having that opportunity to travel outside of the country opened her eyes to the people of the world, that even though politically there was conflict and, and uh You know, Russia had been viewed as an enemy. Once she knew the people, those connections became very, very important to her. So uh, how about Mr. Crack? <laughs> well, um, what Cindy said was, of course, correct. What I think of Rachel, I also think of a sense of humor. And uh, she, and also a strength. Uh, you know, the, there's a play that was uh, pulled together from Rachel's writing. And in that, uh, you can see her growth. That play actually was performed in Istanbul. We had the opportunity to see it there, uh, along with a lot of other places. But as you see what somebody else put together from Rachel's writing, all of it's Rachel's writing, you can see a, a young woman that's trying, and a child, trying to put together their values And then how to live up to those values. And I think questioning in her own values and a questioning that comes from strength, not from weakness. She she had enough self-possession to look at what she was thinking and critique it. And, um, and so in some ways, as a parent, you want to bring up your child. But our child, in, in a lot of ways, I think Rachel gave me her values and she showed me how to live. And I'm very grateful to her. So uh, how did Rachel uh, decide to go to Palestine? 
and uh, what activities and projects was she involved in uh, during her time there? After 9-11 here in the United States, uh, Rachel and our community of Olympia um, responded uh, with uh, efforts for peace, actually. So she was... Uh, there were there were new organizations that were formed, the Olympia Movement for Peace and Justice, um, uh, the People for Peace in the Middle East, different groups, and there were existing groups as well that opposed war as a response to what had happened here in the United States. And Rachel was a college student at the time. Uh, you know, 9-11 was a huge and enormous event in the lives of young people, certainly the lives of all Americans, but the lives of young people who had never experienced something like that. And so um, she became very connected to the peace movement here. And, and then that led her to learning about Palestine and uh, how, how that may have been a, one factor for what happened to Americans on 9-11. And uh, there were uh, members of our community who, and, and at the college that she attended, who had spent time in the West Bank, a lot of time in the West Bank, who had, uh, uh, one was actually an Israeli woman who was one of the co-founders of Women in Black. And uh, she had, uh, after the, the war in Lebanon, had uh, uh, opposed the policies of the Israeli government and the actions of the Israeli government. And so Rachel was learning from all these people. And uh, then at, uh, at, at, in 2002, the International Solidarity Movement was formed. She, How old was she, yeah, in that time? Yeah, she was, uh, at, at that time, she would have been 22, probably. Oh, well, uh, when 9-11 happened, she would have been in her early 20s, so 2021. And uh, uh, yes, and and then when she went to Palestine, she was 23 years old. She would have, uh, she took kind of a long path through college. She was uh, working at the time here in the community uh, with uh, a, a mental health organization that helped people in the community that were dealing with mental health issues. Uh, she traveled some during that time. And uh, yeah, she was just always, always learning. So she was in her early 20s when this work really began. And she was 23 years old when she traveled to Palestine with the International Solidarity Movement, which was founded uh, because there had been a, an initiative in the UN to bring a, a international um, force to observe what was happening, to monitor what was happening, and that had been vetoed in the UN, largely, I think, led by the U.S. and Israel to veto it. And it was at that time that the International Solidarity Movement, there was, was a call from Palestinian and Jewish Israelis who asked internationals to come in solidarity with Palestinians who wanted to resist nonviolently during the first, the second intifada. It's a really hard breaking story, of course, but uh, we would like to hear about the tragic incident in which uh, Rachel lost her life. Uh, what challenges did you encounter in your uh, legal battle against Israel to seek uh, justice for Rachel? Well, um, 
I think really what we were trying to do is hold somebody accountable. And so the most logical way to do that was uh, through uh, our government, talking to their government. And indeed, uh, that time, President Bush talked to Prime Minister Sharon, I believe the day uh, that Rachel was killed or the day after Rachel was killed. And he was promised a thorough, credible and transparent investigation with a report to be given to the U.S. government. It continues to be the position of the U.S. government to this day that there were, never was a thorough, credible, and transparent investigation. And indeed, in the first weeks after Rachel was killed, the Israeli government put out a PowerPoint presentation, which they showed just, not just to our State Department, but also to members of Congress, which purported to show the place Rachel was killed. And the problem with that, it was, was not the bulldozer that killed Rachel. The bulldozer was not facing in the direction it was going when she was run over. And in fact, was um, some yards away from, some meters away from the spot where Rachel was actually killed. So there was disinformation coming out from the beginning. We eventually, when uh, time ran out, the only way we could control a father and a mother, control some trying to get some accountability was through a lawsuit which we did uh, pursue in Israeli courts with a um, Palestinian, Palestinian Israeli attorney helped us, Hussein Abu Hussein, and uh, did a brilliant job. But um, so he was able to get an, a number of Israeli soldiers uh, to testify as well as our um Rachel's friends testifying. And uh, through that, we found a whole lot of contradictions, a lot that came out in that trial. But of course, the Israeli courts found against us and really blamed Rachel for her own killing. So sometimes like right now, uh, it's happening uh, disinformation, uh, all the media by Israel. So Uh, at least uh, 3,785 uh, Palestinians have been killed in Israeli airstrikes in Gaza uh, since October 7. Uh, according to the health ministry uh, last Thursday. So uh, what do you think about Israel's latest strikes and killing the women and children for a long time? And uh, what should be done uh, as an international society? Uh, far too many people have been killed. And we mourn the loss of all who have been killed in Israel and in Gaza and in the West Bank. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we fear the escalation that's happening. Um, over 1,500 children, we understand, have been killed in Gaza. Um, and what I say to that is it, enough people have died. It's time uh, for a ceasefire. It's time for humanitarian assistance to be able to enter Gaza. Um, we have never uh, seen in a situation like this, war or extended uh, military action lead to better results. And uh, it, we just, we feel very strongly, um, We, we've called on our government and on our members of Congress to work for de-escalation and a ceasefire in the situation. It's, it's extremely painful. I heard one of the family members of the hostages who have been taken saying that 
whatever they do to Gaza will come back. And uh, and I, I thought that that was so apt that, uh, that uh, this just needs to end. Rachel wrote to us in her emails and said, this has to stop. And dealing with the root causes of why we're experiencing this, why people in Gaza, why people in Israel are experiencing this today is the only way um, that we can move forward in any kind of a constructive effort. And your turns, Mr. Craig. Uh, well, first of all, uh, the, the killing, we know some of the pain. We know the pain of losing, uh, well, having one child, one family member taken from us. Um, and I can't imagine the pain of all that suffering. Uh, throughout our lifetime, and look at our gray hair, I, I was born in 1946. So throughout my lifetime, there have been human rights violations and indeed war crimes committed by Israel on the Palestinian people. But that does not excuse a war crime committed um, just at the early part of this month by Palestinians on Israeli people. And we've been to Sderot. We've met some people there that were working to try to uh, end the occupation. So, uh, but, but what happened also that the Hamas attack does not excuse further war crimes committed on the Palestinian people. Enough is enough. And we understand, as Cindy said, that, that there's no solution here um, from violence. And, and Rachel was there uh, because she wanted to be a human rights observer. She was recognized by the U.S. State Department as a human rights observer. So perhaps what we need is sanctioned human rights observers, not as another kind of occupation of the Palestinian people, but to keep all the people in that area safe and try to construct some sort of future that is a true future for everybody's children. What we want for all of our children should should apply to everybody in a historic Palestine. So uh, Israel keeps going to kill children and women in front of the world, uh, like as always. Uh, how much do we need courageous people like Rachel to stop Israel? What do you think about that? I think that um, at least here in the U.S., uh, and in the rest of the world too. I, I think, um, you know, obviously we, we can't send people to Gaza to stand with, with the Gazan people right now. I mean, um, we're hearing from our, from colleagues, from friends in Gaza about what's happened to their families and so forth. And I know there's no ability for people to go as Rachel did to Gaza, but we need to be visible here in the U.S., letting our government know that the Palestinian people exist and they are suffering greatly, uh, civilians, innocent civilians and children, and that this is not um, this is not the policy of you know extending billions more in military aid, for example. Um, this is not a path uh, to 
a solution that will truly make a difference for the people in the entire region. So I think uh, I think what I uh, call on people to do right now is to um, be clear in opposing the violence, all the violence that has happened, and to stand and to that means communicating with our public officials, but it also means standing in vigils, in marches, in rallies, uh, being there, being visible in your support for all the people in the region. Now we are uh, heading to the end. Uh, so my last question, uh, the Rachel Corey Foundation was established to honor her memory. Uh, you and Mrs. Cindy are also the founder of this foundation, right? So how do you see the foundation in terms of uh, preserving Rachel's legacy? What kind of work uh, does the foundation engage in uh, and uh, what are your goals? I think that question was to Cindy, but I'll, I'll pick it up because she's looking at me and then she can uh, she can chime in. So we together uh, with people in the community formed the Rachel Corey Foundation. I would say that it's more to continue her values out into the world. We as a family, of course, will always remember Rachel. We remember her every day. I, so a couple of prongs of it, we have been trying to support in very small ways. It's a small foundation. Uh, but in small ways, we've been trying to support uh, activities in the Gaza Strip, mostly, where um, that work with youth. And uh, so uh, trying to do arts. Rachel was an artist. She was very um, uh, in involved with the arts. So people doing dance and things that are very humanizing there. Uh, so in just trying to let the people of the Gaza Strip um, know that we remember that they exist. So some sort of word into the uh, people of Gaza that uh, Rachel's family still remember them. And so to me, it's more about remembering them. Here in the United States, we feel that what needs to happen most is to change the U.S. government's policy toward that area, towards Israel and Palestine. And so we try to be a voice for sanity in that, for uh, realizing the, um, like I say, the lives, the, the legitimate um, needs of, of all the people in the area and, and, and drawing attention particularly to Gaza, but also the West Bank. And we've been to Gaza five times, Cindy and I, we've been to the West Bank, I don't know how many times. Uh, so reaching out to have everybody understand the humanity of all people there and, um, you know, you talk about the death of children and, of course, the, the family that Rachel was, whose home Rachel was standing in front of when she was killed. Uh, at the time, they had five children. There are uh, several more that have been uh, born since then. And now they're, they're, they're young. They're young people in their 20s, the, the ones that, that we met originally. And uh, beautiful, beautiful people. So they need to have the opportunity to have families, to be able to travel, to, you know, to just the basic sort of things. They have water. My goodness, they've cut off water and electricity to the people of Gaza. It, it, it is um, it's unimaginable. So the foundation tries to bring that to, to people here in the United States. And I'll let Cindy go on. Uh, I would just say that just this week, 
um, what we've engaged in is we had an educational event here in our community and on very short notice. And Olympia is not a large uh, place. It's a relatively small place here in Washington State. Uh, over 200 people came out to hear. People are very concerned. And so our task, part of our task as a foundation is to provide that education. Even a week before this event happened, we had a Palestinian from Gaza in our community for a speaking event. And uh, the next day we took him to meet with staff from um, our members of Congress to talk with them. That, that Palestinian, Yusuf, um, wrote to us the, after the, the, terrible, the terrible events happened, Nine of his family members have been killed in Gaza. So our community is able to relate to an individual who was here just a week before um, through the educational work that we try to do on this issue. Um, so, and right now today, there'll be a vigil this afternoon here in Olympia, uh, where we know members of our community will come out with signs saying, save the children of Gaza. Um, in, end uh, the violence now. Uh, end the occupation. End the occupation, calling for siege, end apartheid. Um, we'll, people will be standing on our Olympia street corners with those messages. And um, I think, you know, it, it, I think it's important for people to know that there are many in our community who, who agree with these sentiments and just uh, want our role the role of the U.S. to be different than it has been in regard to this issue. So, as you said, like uh, many letters uh, reach out to you from uh, our lens to you uh, about Rachel. So, uh, do you want to read for our listeners uh, any of them? Um, how about reading uh, Rafa Olaikin, Rafa? Yeah. I'll have to go oh, yeah, get please. a book. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking Sorry. forward to that. Yeah. Uh, so we are listening. There are two things I'd like to read, I guess. Um, one is from an email that she wrote uh, to me on February 27th, 2003. And she said, just want to write to my mom and tell her that I'm witnessing this chronic, insidious genocide. And I'm really scared and questioning my fundamental belief in the goodness of human nature. This has to stop. I think it is a good idea for us all to drop everything and devote our lives to making this stop. I don't think it's an extremist thing to do anymore. I still really want to dance around to Pat Benatar and have boyfriends and make comics for my coworkers, but I also want this to stop. Disbelief and horror is what I feel. Disappointment. I am disappointed that this is the base reality of our world and that we in fact participate in it. This is not at all what I asked for when I came into this world. This is not at all what the people here asked for when they came into this world. This is not what they are asking for now. This is not the world you and dad wanted me to come into when you decided to have me. This is not what I meant when I was two and looked at Capitol Lake and said, this is the wide world and I'm coming to it. 
I did not mean that I was coming into a world where I could live a comfortable life and possibly with no effort at all exist in complete unawareness of my participation in genocide. More big explosions somewhere in the distance outside. And then um, there's a poem that she wrote about Rafa in Gaza. Uh, we're hearing about Rafa now because it's uh, part of the uh, southern part of the Gaza Strip where people from the north have been sent to, uh, have been told by Israel that they should move to. And of course, Rafa crossing into Egypt is now critically under discussion. At the time Rachel was there, there was much military activity. And she wrote this poem. This was from February 2003. Oh, Rafa, aching Rafa aching of refugees, aching of tumbled houses, bicycles severed from tank warped tires, and aching of bullet-riddled homes, all homes worm-eaten by bullets and then impregnated through bullet holes by birds. Oh, Rafa, aching fingers of Rafa, children born without fingers and fathers unable to travel the 20 or 30 miles to Gaza to repair their children's fingers, clawed knuckles from old gunshots, bandaged fingers, and slimy small poking fingers between puffy lips of children, slobbery and wondering and blinking like all children, but fingers patting and tapping at strange big hands amidst the music of shelling and the constant anonymous night vision telescope of murder above and beyond and around and even inside. Fingers cracked crust of spackle concrete fingers of the endless rebuilding of things crashed. Home, home, oh Rafa, aching homes of Rafa, home of the Rafa camp, Rafa grown permanent with the names of the countries that paid for the neighborhoods still attached. Home of Rafa, unleavable. Home stickered with glow-in-the-dark stars in teenagers' rooms. Homes constructed over a lifetime and unraveled in the night. Ache of rubble and weedy rebar craning out of concrete boulders. Ache of ghost homes looming without volume, without mass, straddling this wall and this wasteland the wall demands. Ache of dinners, knees and haunches, kneeling dinners spread over floors in the music of gunfire, the irregular heartbeat of the border, and living dead homes waiting immobile for bulldozers and tanks and the shattering of tea glasses the bending of rebar, the tumbling of concrete, and the ejection of people. Baby, grandmother, small girl curling her entire small hand around one big finger. Teenage boy with teenage boy legs and teenage boy laugh ejected into rubble and homelessness and scattered if not killed. Oh, Rafa, aching Rafa. Children of Rafa exploded. Children of Rafa deafened. Deafened to tank wheels. Deafened to explosions. 
gunshot music, shocking claps, drones. Thank you so much for this performing. Uh, and that's it. Uh, we are really appreciated about these all informations. Uh, so uh, good morning to you and good evening to us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for uh, joining me today, Mrs. Cindy and Mr. Crack. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Dear listeners, we will keep you up to date. Do not forget to subscribe to all our podcast channels. <laughs>